Hey, welcome back. So I feel like as of late, I've taken a lot of time to talk about the paper, silver, and gold markets. I've taken a lot of time to talk about economic and, and monetary policy and the broader uh, picture in terms of the, the global economy, the U.S. economy, or the financial system, or the dollar, you know, all these different topics, which I, which I really enjoy talking about, and I, and I really strive to make those videos, those podcasts, informative and, and educational for you guys. But, you know, I think it's about time that I make a episode that really gets back to my roots on, on a topic that I really enjoy talking about, and that is the fundamentals, specifically the physical fundamentals for silver. And today I'm going to be talking about on the demand side, why I believe at this point in time, we're just scratching the surface of what physical demand for silver one day will be. Now, I want to start off here by giving you guys some perspective on the broader silver market because these numbers are going to be important. You know, I'm, I'm a bit of a numbers guy. I don't crunch numbers. I don't use graphs quite as much as some of those other guys out there like like Steve St. Angelo or something just because I, I don't always have the time to put those together or, or um, you know, crunch all those numbers. But I do think that these numbers are important for perspective, especially when we're converting these ounces into their dollar equivalents and then talking about just how small this market really is. Because when we just talk about ounces, it sounds like a lot, especially when, you know, maybe you're listening and you're like, yeah, I got 50 ounces. I got 10 ounces. I have 5,000 ounces, whatever. Still pretty small compared to these numbers. But again, in terms of total demand for physical silver, we're still just scratching the surface. So to put this in perspective, you know, each year, roughly, and just for for the sake of, of making it a round number, roughly 1 billion ounces of silver come onto the market. That's 1,000 million ounces. And that includes primarily mining supply. And then, you know, a smaller portion of that is going to be scrap supply, whether it's coins, bars, uh, silverware, jewelry, or, or just industrial forms of silver that are, you know, recollected rather than just discarded. And that's scrap silver coming onto the market. So about 1,000 million ounces. Of that, in 2018, less than 200 million ounces, so roughly, again, round numbers, 20% of, of total physical demand was coin and bar demand. And then, you know, to, to broaden that, that definition of, I don't know, investment type of silver, you could also include silverware and jewelry, because especially in some cultures like, like uh, uh, India, it or even some parts of Southeast Asia, uh, jewelry, silverware, it's a little bit more of an investment play than maybe here in the United States, right? Buying a silver ring or, or earring, it's usually not much of an investment play or wealth preservation play, but sometimes it can be in those countries. And so when you include those types of, and there's another reason I'll include those here in a second. When you include that in the picture, it was somewhere around 450, just north of 450 million ounces of silver, physical silver demand between those three sources, coins, bars, silverware, and jewelry. And the rest basically was industrial demand, okay? Now, the reason I'm including silverware and uh, jewelry is not just because some people see it as a wealth preservation play or investment or something like that, but because in most cases, those forms of silver are not going to be just discarded, right? People lose their rings, whatever, jewelry, but, but for the most part, it's not like a cell phone or a TV or, or a car where that silver very well may just end up in a landfill 
uh, left to be reclaimed at some point in the future when when silver is at a much much higher price right most of that silver is going to be staying above ground and in some form that could readily be melted down into to some other format now to give you guys a little more perspective again I, these numbers are going to be important here in a second okay 450 million ounces of of some type of physical silver that's you know sitting in somebody's house or 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 that they're wearing right now okay in 2018. You know, last year I made a video talking about just how much above ground silver there actually is. I think there's a lot of misinformation on that. And in terms of identifiable investment grade silver, coins and bars for the most part, I came up with a an estimate, which I would say, you know, I don't remember the exact numbers from that number or from that video, but I would say on, on, the, uh, on the very... Um, conservative side, I guess, to, to overestimate, maybe, and it's unlikely, but maybe 10 billion ounces. I think it's much less than that, close to probably seven or eight billion, maybe five, right? And then on the on the other side of the spectrum, maybe two, two and a half billion. That was kind of my estimate. Some people will say it's like a billion, even less than that, and, and I'm doubtful of that, right? Um, but but those are kind of the numbers I came up with when you take into account places like like India, where where you know accounting for all the silver that's been bought over the generations is is pretty difficult. And then you know if you add things like jewelry, silver into that, that number obviously balloons up a fair bit more. But again, the point of what I'm saying here is is that that's going to matter, but not as much as we think. Whether you know the amount of coins and bars above ground right now are two billion or five billion or even ten billion ounces, it's still fairly small compared to what demand I believe one day will be, and I think it's going to be big. You know, we saw it again, kind of getting into why those numbers are important. Back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten, you know, during and after the Great Recession, we saw this huge move into physical silver by a lot of retail investors or, or just average consumers like, like you and I, stackers. And, and we saw all of a sudden a, a resurgence in interest in just bullion in general or, or semi-numismatics that you know the silver market probably hadn't seen since, I don't know, the early 1980s, right? During and after the, the Hunt brothers run up in, in this price of silver. It was, you know, really astounding to me in the market at the time. Of course, I was not. I'm, I'm, uh, I was still in high school at the time, actually. Uh, and then after that, even into 2015, 2016, we still saw very large amounts of demand for silver. But even when you consider that, I still believe that those numbers, whether they were, you know, two, three, four hundred million ounces. I don't remember the highest year. Probably just shy of 300 million ounces just of coins and bars bought in a single year is still just a portion of one day what we're going to see in terms of demand. Now, in 2018, there, there was quite a bit of fuss, and, and with good reason, about it being the year in which central banks had bought the most gold since, I want to say, back in like the late 60s. Don't quote me on that. But, but a long time ago, that was the last time that central banks had been buying as much gold as they bought in 2018. And of course, officially speaking, that didn't really translate to silver because gold is, is held at a much, much higher uh, regards by financial institutions and by central banks. Now, I mean, there's some evidence that, that 
Russia and their central bank owns silver. Very well may be the case that China and maybe some other central banks own a decent amount too beyond just what they have for, for minting purposes, but that's neither here nor there. As a whole though, silver did not catch that demand obviously. Now, now it had a fair bit of demand from investors and whatnot, kind of ongoing demand, but there wasn't a big spike in 2018. However, I think that's that going forward, that's going to change for, for two different reasons. First of all, I've talked about this many times in the past that the bull market for silver and gold is on. Yes, I talked last week about how there could be potential for a correction in the near term, month, month and a half maybe. Uh, certainly, I, I would be surprised to see it at some point in the second half of 2019. But the bull market is on. And silver specifically in the past has garnered a lot of attention when it moves into a bull market, especially once it gains some momentum. People pile in, whether it's on the paper side, the physical side, institutional traders, stackers like you and I, people pile into this trade because silver can move very quickly and it can move very high in a very short period of time. And, and I think that that's absolutely going to be coming in, into play with gold moving up and then with silver in a bull market. We'll, we'll see that happening. But what I'm really interested in is the more sustained demand from investors that are looking for a safe haven. And, and I think that ultimately, at the end of the day, this is going to extend well beyond just stackers like you and I, or even people that are, are, are vaulting their silver in, in uh, uh, you know, having it stored for them, uh, investors, investors that are maybe a little bit more wealthy than you and I. I think this is going to extend into uh, the, the institutional space at some point and perhaps even the governmental space. And, and I want to draw a, a bit of a, a relationship between the demand for physical silver in the future and the demand for other financial assets that we've seen over the last couple of years. Now, again, going back to those numbers that I said earlier, if we're going to really, I don't very, be very conservative with these numbers and, and say that there's something like 10 billion, or maybe that's liberal, I don't know, conservative, liberal, with the numbers and say there's 10 billion ounces of, of silver currently in, in coins and bars around the world. You know, that equates to roughly 170 billion ounces, right? At 20 bucks an ounce, that's 200 billion ounces. Even at 50 bucks an ounce, that's only a half trillion dollars. And in the whole scheme of things, that's pretty small, especially when you consider that a, a very large portion of that is not going to be on the market. It's going to be people hoarding it because it's a going to be viewed as a safe haven asset. Very small, especially when you compare it to other markets like the stock market, the total amount of currency in circulation, or the bond markets. And that's what the, the relationship that I want to draw between silver and the bond markets. You see, in the last couple of years, we've seen some, some really, what I would call, irrational moves in the bond markets, both the corporate markets, whether that's high-grade uh, uh, corporate debt, or high-yield corporate debt what formerly was, was called junk bonds because they were far riskier than, than some of this high-grade investment-grade debt. Uh, we, we've seen a, a massive amount of enthusiasm for those assets. And, and largely, it's because investors are looking for yield, whether it's pensions or hedge funds or, or 
or, or you know, individual investors in their portfolios, they're looking for yields somewhere because as interest rates have come down due to central bank intervention or because of deflationary pressures or whatever, as interest rates have come down, especially you know, government debt, we've increasingly seen investors looking for some sort of a yield. And so you have this strange situation where you know, in the past, you know, maybe 10% or, or 8%, on high yield corporate bonds, junk bonds, not highly rated debt, but very poorly rated debt, was was a reasonable expectation, 8%, 10%. But then we saw, slowly saw it tick down and down, 6%, 5%, 4%. You know, now we're seeing you know 3%, 2%, which is very low in terms of yield. Uh, uh, we're seeing that type of a yield on not very good debt, right? And, it, and again, it's really a... a a thirst for yield, especially as more and more uh, baby boomers retire and, and want to move to a more, you know, sustainable investment model rather than throwing a large amount of their portfolio into the stock market. And, and part of the reason that, that we've seen more and more people pour into these markets, thus driving up the prices and driving down the yields further, is also the government bond markets, which, which are even, I don't know if they're more irrational or not, but but they're both certainly irrational and in, in, in the running for, for running, you know, uh, for winning one of the you know, most irrational market moves in the last hundred years. But right now in the government bond market, we're seeing yields uh, like, like German 10-year bonds or Italian two-year bonds or, or, you know, all these other European uh, countries, much of the Japanese bond yield curve. Yielding negative rates. Negative rates. Now, why, why is that? It's largely due to safe haven demand and uh, demand for some sort of, of uh, liquid financial asset. Liquidity and safe haven demand. That's kind of the name of the game for, for government bonds. And then the corporate side of, the side of things, you have that, that thirst for yield. But at some point in the future... You know, I think this corp, this government uh, uh, bull market and government bonds can continue for some time. As as much as it pains me to say that, there's no reason to to believe that it's not going to continue. That we won't one day see the entire U.S. yield curve uh, at or or below zero percent, right? But on the corporate side of things, eventually, you're going to have a, a widening of these spreads between. The high yield stuff and the investment grade stuff, and ultimately all corporate debt and government debt. Yields are going to blow out on on the corporate side of things, and at that point, that's when things get really scary. And I think we're going to see a a, a large amount of investors, whether they're retirees, pension funds, uh, um, uh, hedge funds, etc., look for assets that are liquid and safe haven. Uh, but but I think in many cases they're they're going to look to the government bond market and say, yeah, I'm I'm not going to accept negative yields or at least throw too much money at that. Now I'm not saying that pension funds as a whole or or uh, various other types of, of fixed income funds are are going to throw a large amount of their money into silver. That's just not realistic. Okay, under current rules, I, I would imagine that most pension funds don't own any or very little silver in their portfolio. And if it is, it's probably the paper variety. But increasingly, I think we are going to see 
uh, commodities, physical assets, and of course, precious metals um, gain respect among not just central banks, not just stackers like you and I, but institutional investors. And, and yes, even pension funds, hedge funds, etc. And you'll see them looking for some sort of a liquid safe haven asset. Now, of course, the first one that's going to come to mind is gold, right? They're, they're going to see two different pictures. On one side of things, on one side, they're going to see the, the corporate bond market as well as probably the stock market going down in value significantly and become a very risky place to put their money. But then on the other side of things, they very well may see the government bond market looking less and less attractive as as yields continue to be pushed down. And, you know, at some point, I mean, how is, how is a pension fund, how is a, a, a retiree supposed to survive? How are they supposed to, to create any sort of a yield when they're buying, you know, German bonds at negative 1% or U.S. 10-year treasuries at 1% or 0% or whatever they're going to be in the future? And increasingly, you're going to see them looking for a safe haven asset that isn't negative yielding. And, and again, the, the first place they, they're going to look is not going to be silver. It's, it's probably going to be gold. But I, I think we'd be foolish to say that silver is not going to get any of that demand, is not going to catch any of that, that trade upwards. And of course, going back to my first point here about momentum in the silver market, we know from in the past that as silver goes up, it, it tends to outpace gold. On the way down, it outpaces gold to the downside. But as it goes up, it outpaces gold to the upside significantly. Now, going back to the physical side of things, it's, it's not hard to see how a very small amount of this money moving into the physical silver market could send shockwaves through the physical space. I'm, I'm not predicting, you know, the physical market crashing the LBMA or the COMEX. Like, yeah, that can happen. That's not the focus of this video. What I'm saying is that we'll see a similar picture where you have this sustained demand for an asset because of some of its characteristics, very similar to in the government bond market or in the corporate bond market. Only in on the silver side of things, there's a much more limited supply of things. I mean, one billion ounces, right? At at uh, one, you know, at fifty dollars uh, an ounce, that's what fifty billion dollars, right? A billion ounces of demand in a single year. We we'd be foolish to say that that's not going to send these prices crazy. I mean, do you, do you realize that that alone would account for the entire amount of silver coming onto the market each year, right? And the industrial side of things still needs to be fed. People still need their iPhones, their their, their Teslas, their new houses, their, their new TVs, whatever. And so that industrial side of thing is may slow down a bit with a bit of an economic slowdown, but as a whole, it's not going to totally drop off a cliff. But a billion ounces, $50 billion, even at that very high price, and it very well may not be there at that point, <clears throat> that's a lot of demand. And that is not going to be something that the market's going to be able to keep up with unless the price goes much, much higher. But again, that doesn't mean that we need a rapid move up, a blow off top, and then a crash again like we had back in 2011. Because if this is indeed investors looking for liquidity and a safe haven asset rather than a momentum play because it's going to the moon or whatever, then you'll continue to see investors pile into that, perhaps to the point of irrationality. Yeah, I said it. 
silver prices, as well as gold prices, could get to the point where they are irrationally high. <coughs> but when you look at the whole scheme of things, again, 1 billion ounces at 50 bucks an ounce, $50 billion, that is a tiny fraction of the total corporate bond market, the, the, the global stock market, the government market, the government bond market, the total amount of currency in circulation. It's a tiny, tiny sliver of that. And so we don't need silver on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. It's going to make moves and it's going to turn heads, but we don't need it on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. We don't need every analyst on CNBC talking about it, though I sh- I'm sure we'll see plenty of, of bandwagoners come on board and say, you know, I've been saying this all along. You know, we don't need Jim Cramer throwing his support behind silver. We don't need Warren Buffett, you know, throwing a, a few billion into silver or something like that. No, we don't, we don't need that, right? We don't need this massive amount of, of um, interest, right? We don't need a trillion dollars worth of demand in the silver space. It's such a small market. For the gold market, that's not the case. There is tons upon tons of above ground gold. And this isn't me saying be bearish on gold. Gold has a ton of great trades. <coughs> and, I've, and I've said many times in the past that I would love to trade some of my silver for gold in the future, given that the ratio is at a much lower level. But the silver market, it's tiny in the whole scheme of things. And it's going to make waves. It's going to garner a huge amount of demand on the basis of momentum, but also safe haven and liquidity characteristics. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this video down below in the comment section. Please uh, uh, give me some feedback. Uh, do you envision this happening or are you a, a bit of a Debbie Downer or whatever? Let me know down below. As always, if you enjoy my work, if you enjoy my content, there's a ton of great ways to help me out. First and foremost, liking this video, commenting. Those things help out a ton. Actually, first and foremost, watching this video, listening to this podcast, that's the number one thing you can do to help, and you've already done that. So thank you, guys. Absolutely. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. But if you want to go above and beyond liking, commenting, subscribing, hitting that subscription bell, that helps out a ton. And if you are really a huge fan of my channel, you can always support me on Patreon on a monthly basis for as little as a dollar a month. I think I'm up to 17 patrons now. Uh, it, it allows you to help direct some of my content. I try and give you guys perks, interact with you guys. I'm not always the best about it, but I want to get better about it. And it certainly helps me to be uh, 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 more, I guess, independent and, and create more of these videos. Because ultimately, look, I mean, this is, I'm a busy guy. I have a wife, I have two kids, I have a busy schedule. And to take time out of my day to do this, I, I, I enjoy it immensely. I hope you guys, I hope I... I come through as, as very genuine and, and enthusiastic because I do enjoy talking about the silver space or, or economics or whatever, but it is time consuming. And so, you know, the financial aspect of it is a very real consideration. So if you do want to support me on a monthly basis, little as a dollar a month, much as, you know, whatever the sky's the limit, I'd very much be appreciative of that. Otherwise, uh, an easier option if you are a silver stacker, you can use my affiliate link down below in the description next time you buy from SD Bullion, especially if you're a new buyer. There is a code down there for a one-ounce silver round at spot price that you can add onto your order. Uh, that helps me out a ton, and SD Bullion is obviously a great uh, dealer to buy from, founded by and, and run by a bunch of silver stackers, which cannot necessarily be said by all those other uh, uh, silver dealers out there. But anyways, 
as always, I, I don't expect any of that. I don't even expect a thumbs up. Go ahead and thumbs down this video if you want to. I'm just happy to have you guys here in the first place. So thank you guys, truthfully, from the bottom of my heart for watching this video, listening to this podcast, and God bless.